From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for Thursday, February 29, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, Shelley Irwin previews the next performance of the Holland Symphony Orchestra. Also, the governor proposes $250 million for behavioral health services. Former Rep Justin Amash is running for the Senate and more state and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. Part of Governor Whitmer's fiscal year 2025 budget includes nearly $250 million for behavioral health services for Michigan families. WGVU's David Limbaugh explains how some of that money will be used. Of that $250 million, over $193 million will be used to help fund Michigan Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinics, or CCBHCs. These clinics are nonprofit or local government agencies that are federally required to provide specific behavioral health services such as 24-7 mobile crisis response and medication-assisted treatment for substance abuse disorders. Funds from the governor's budget will be used to expand the number of sites and establish more support, including expanded access to behavioral health support, and services for up to 50,000 additional Michigan residents. Currently, there are 30 CCBHCs in Michigan's Medicaid Demonstration Project, including one at Network 180 in Kent County, as well as several other organizations that currently receive federal grant funding to establish clinics that provide those services. According to Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director Elizabeth Hertel, the CCBHC model has shown to substantially increase access to numerous behavioral health services by serving all individuals with a behavioral health diagnosis, regardless of insurance or ability to pay. I'm David Limbaugh. Grand Action 2.0 has released new renderings of the proposed $108 million near Westside Soccer Stadium. WGVU's Patrick Center has the details. Grand Action 2.0 began the stadium conceptual design in 2022. The not-for-profit economic development organization recently submitted construction paperwork with the city of Grand Rapids. The design and development stage underway at properties next to the David D. Hunting YMCA, including city of Grand Rapids dash parking lots framed by winter and summer avenues and Lake Michigan Drive. One of the things that Grand Action 2.0 is really focused on is having iconic structures that the region can be proud of. Carol Wood is Grand Action 2.0 Executive Director. This stadium certainly sets itself apart from the rest of the nation and will be one of the finest professional soccer stadiums in the U.S. Design paperwork describes it as celebrating the, quote, maker culture within the furniture industry and boating, end quote. Canopies with strong horizontal lines will shelter spectators. The stadium will house two buildings for office, hospitality, and retail. The facade accenting local architecture featuring a mix of metal, glass, and masonry. The 8,500-seat capacity is designed to expand to 11,000. Wood says feasibility studies revealed strong fan interest. Houseman Field was hosting 7,000 fans for soccer previously. The interest validated by the USL Championship League seeking a Grand Rapids franchise. I'm Patrick Center. 
Two historic resorts in Michigan have been recognized in a National Guidebook of African American Cultural Landmarks. WGVU's Dee Morrison has more. The Idlewild Historic District in Lake County and Woodland Park in Nuego County are highlighted in the guide from the Cultural Landscape Foundation. It focuses on 140 sites across the U.S. associated with African American culture. These are the only two Michigan sites that are currently listed, and so we're very thrilled to have that recognition for these communities. Julie Burrell is the senior Senior Director of the Nuego County Economic Development Partnership for The Right Place. She's been working with groups focused on growing the area's economies while preserving their unique histories and marking their significance in American culture. That includes buying and renovating significant properties and installing historic signage. So that way when you drive through Woodland Park, you know that you're there and you know why it's so special. Idlewild, founded in 1912, and Woodland Park in 1921 were resort communities that hosted a mix of black entertainers, intellectuals, religious and political leaders during the era of Jim Crow segregation. If anyone of your listeners that have ties to Woodland Park or Idlewild that are interested in getting involved, I would certainly welcome them to reach out to myself or Jody Nichols, and we would be happy to connect them with the group. There's more information linked to the story at WGVUnews.org. I'm Dee Morrison. They aren't taking back any accusations of misconduct. WGVU's Phil Dawson reports the Ottawa County Board of Commissioners just agreed they won't use those past allegations to fire Health Officer Adeline Hambly in the future. The parties enter into this agreement solely in the interest of avoiding additional costs that would result from further litigation. Under the agreement, Chair Joe Moss and the Ottawa County Board of Commissioners negotiated with Health Officer Adeline Hambly. She drops her wrongful termination lawsuit and they won't use past misconduct allegations to fire her. Cannot form the basis of any future complaint, future charges, or discipline. But the current conservative majority in control of the board does not rule out future attempts to remove Health Officer Hambly. They've been trying for 13 months. But now Hambly takes a termination threat to arbitration. The arbitration panel shall consist of three members, one selected by plaintiff, one selected by the county, a third neutral arbitrator. When they took control of the board last year, a conservative majority opposed to mask mandates and other COVID restrictions immediately moved to replace Hambly. The effort failed when she filed a wrongful termination lawsuit. The board will need to convince an arbitration panel if they try to fire her again. The arbitration panel's decision shall be binding on the parties and shall not be subject to appeal. I'm Phil Dawson. A new study by the University of Michigan finds that antidepressant dispensing to young people surged during the pandemic. WGVU's David Limbaugh spoke with a local expert about the findings. I think that what the pandemic did, it exasperated a pre-existing mental health crisis in this group. It didn't initiate it, I think it exasperated it. According to the study, while a growing number of young people ages 12 to 25 were receiving antidepressants before the COVID-19 pandemic, the antidepressant dispensing rate rose nearly 64% faster after March 2020. I am a little bit grateful from this study. I think that this proves that the destigmatization of mental health treatment is a good thing for our adolescent population. Brina T. Meyer is the Director of Clinical Services at Wedgwood Christian Services. She says that during the pandemic, youth were spending more time on social media, which led to an increase in cyberbullying. This led to more youth seeking treatment for mental health emergencies. It allowed for there to be like national media attention surrounding like psychiatric crises in children. 
children, and it led to an increase in access. The increase that we're seeing is likely due to greater access to care. T. Meyer says she's encouraged by the findings and hopes it means both parents and youth are on the right track when it comes to treating their mental health issues. If the use of antidepressants lowers that death by suicide rate for our adolescents and young adults, then we as a state are on the right track. I'm David Limbaugh. Today, the American Heart Association held its annual Grand Rapids Go Red for Women luncheon, which zeroes in on the clinical care gaps women face when it comes to heart health. WGVU's Jennifer Moss has more. A heartfelt story was shared today at the American Heart Association's Grand Rapids Go Red for Women annual luncheon. A touching video highlighted a mom who had to have heart surgery during her baby's birth. She and the baby were there and are doing well, but it was a call to recognize the signs and symptoms of heart disease. The Heart Association says it is the number one killer of new moms, and in fact, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death for women globally. Janice Siminski is executive director for the American Heart Association. And our goal really is to have people understand that cardiovascular disease happens to everyone. It does not discriminate. We want people to recognize the signs and symptoms. We want people to know their numbers. We want people to talk to their medical and health care providers. We want people to advocate for their own health and well-being. And coming together and sharing that information really kind of serves as a catalyst for them to leave that event and take it into their personal lives. Siminski says it's important to note that this year's event commemorates 20 years of the Go Red for Women movement and 100 years of saving lives and pioneering scientific discoveries. I'm Jennifer Moss. With more space to help families with children in the hospital, Ronald McDonald House Charities West Michigan is looking for more help to do it. WGVU's Dee Morrison reports. The Ronald McDonald House recently expanded from 17 rooms to 25, where families can stay for free while their children are hospitalized. That 40% growth means they need a lot more volunteer help. Volunteers are critical to our mission in a lot of ways, but mainly volunteers help us ensure that we can continue to provide these services for our families free of charge. Operations Director Courtney Hapner says they need 8 to 10 new people to work as shuttle drivers, receptionists, and in-house volunteers. Laundry and clerical projects. They help with mailings and welcoming families, answering phone calls, ensuring that the place is clean and tidy. Current volunteers say they love interacting with families the most, especially siblings of the patients. We have a toy closet where families can, you know, shop for free for any toys that they want, and that's one of our volunteers' favorite jobs to help out with is helping pick out toys for the little ones. Daytime availability is preferred, but they have recently added evening and weekend opportunities. Retirees, college students, Hapner says they'll work with volunteer schedules. Everybody who has a kind heart and a great work ethic is welcome. There's a link to the volunteer page and a wish list of items for purchase in this story on WGVUnews.org. I'm Dee Morrison. Former U.S. Rep Justin Amash announced on social media today that he will run for Michigan's open U.S. Senate seat. Amash will pursue the Republican nomination in the race. He had previously left the Republican Party in 2019 after supporting an impeachment inquiry in then-President Donald Trump. Amash appears to have come back to the party but said in his announcement that he is independent-minded. 
Amash joins a Republican field that includes former U.S. reps Mike Rogers and Peter Meyer, in addition to businessman Sandy Pensler. U.S. Rep Alyssa Slotkin is considered the favorite to win the Democratic nomination and has dominated other candidates in fundraising. Michigan's Redistricting Commission approved a new House district plan for court review yesterday. Colin Jackson has more. The court had previously struck down seven Metro Detroit House districts as racial gerrymanders. Critics argued the current map splits too much of majority black Detroit with its wider suburbs, making it hard for black communities to elect their candidates of choice. Redistricting Commissioner Brittany Kellum says the proposed plan named Motown Sound E1 was the best option to fix that. I think that the people that we heard from, including the folks that are online, represent the passion and the spirit of Detroit, the sentiment of Detroit. And what I heard collectively was a resounding voice for the Motown Sound map. It's possible the commission's proposal doesn't get used. The court could pick an alternative plan drawn by a court-appointed expert instead. I'm Colin Jackson in Lansing. The Michigan Court of Appeals has refused a request to suspend a lower court ruling that Christina Caramo was properly removed as chair of the Michigan Republican Party. That deals a blow to Caramo's plans to host a party meeting in Detroit this weekend to choose state delegates to the Republican National Convention. New state GOP chair Pete Hoekstra has called a state party convention to be held Saturday in Grand Rapids. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll while away a sultry afternoon in a Brazilian cafe as the warm sounds of acoustic bossa nova and samba float through the air. O vento faz no seu cabelo alinhado, com meu I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Brazilian Cafe, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Sunday night at 8 here on WGVU-FM and the WGVU app. Coming March 9th, the Holland Symphony Orchestra presents its next concert, Surprise Symphony. WGVU's Shelley Irwin spoke with the orchestra's concertmaster, Amanda Dykehouse. It's a concert that showcases a diverse selection of pieces and is performed by the Holland Symphony Orchestra. Mark your calendar for the 9th of March. It'll be a big night. This Surprise Symphony is the title, and we talk to you, no surprise of your talents, Amanda Dykhouse, concert master and librarian and, well, much, much more. Good morning to you, Amanda. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. Holland Symphony Orchestra, uh, well known in our community. And uh, yet if there's one who does not know of the talents, describe your orchestra. Amanda, let's start here. Our orchestra is, um, well, our orchestra started about 35 years ago and was a true community orchestra of people who got together to play because they loved to play. Um, They weren't paid for years. It it definitely was a community orchestra. And although we have moved in the direction of a more semi-professional, maybe even inching toward a regional orchestra, it still has that community orchestra flavor where people get together who love to play. We have some people who are conservatory-trained musicians, some people who are on local university faculties of music, We have some students from various colleges and universities in the area and a lot of people who work other day jobs that have nothing to do with music or Mm. who maybe teach music in the public schools. 
So uh, it's a quite a diverse, wonderful group of people who love to play music together. Right. And uh, we get the uh, sounds from the seats. Amanda, tell us a little bit about you. So I have been with Holland Symphony for, I think I'm in about my 25th season um, as concertmaster. Um, I, I grew up in Holland, went away to school um, to study music and and came back to to work um, work in ministry actually, and then also uh, play my violin a lot. So I play in the Holland Symphony. I play in West Michigan Symphony. I do a lot of teaching and freelancing. I'm the librarian for both groups, which mm. means I have lots of piles of music in my house uh, that we keep tripping over. And I also I also do some some work helping with tickets for the Holland Symphony. So I wear a lot of hats, and it's a lot of fun. Nice uh, woman of all, uh, all talents for sure. Let's get right into March 9th and the symphony that uh, we will uh, experience. Is there a title uh, called Surprise Symphony, thanks to your talents? Uh, well, this symphony is sort of affectionately known as the Surprise Symphony, Haydn's, Haydn's Surprise Symphony, um, mm. probably one of the one of the better known pieces of classical music out there, thanks to the very quiet, slow movement, and then where Haydn interjects this really loud chord, and of course legend has it that he got sick of his audience members falling asleep and he needed to wake them up. Okay, I'm sure that doesn't happen today. Continue. No, um, and I think it's it's delightful because it's it's a piece of music that a lot of young music students play. Um, it's, it, you know, if you get your sort of how to play violin or any string instrument books, you find that theme. I actually have a, an eight-year-old student who just came across that uh-huh. in one of his little exercise books. So he and his mother are coming to the concert. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be his first symphony concert. Um, That's one he'll never forget and most likely touch him. Again, talking to Amanda Dykhouse, concertmaster, librarian, and more with the Holland Symphony Orchestra on tap March 9th. Of course, we'll talk about how to get tickets and more. Continue with what else we hear. So the concert will start with three relatively unknown pieces, maybe even by relatively unknown composers, but they're all very listenable, audience-friendly, melodic, uh, we start with Frederick Delius, and he has two short little pieces for orchestra. Um, Delius was an English composer, early 1900s, who lived in France. Um, he must have lived in a very peaceful setting because these these two short pieces are evocative of hearing hearing a cuckoo in spring, um, summer summer evening on the river. So it's, it's, they're very atmospheric, almost impressionistic. They sound like they could be, could have maybe been written by Debussy. It's got mm. that flavor, misty, um, very, very gentle melodies. So short, two short pieces that are delightful. Um, after that, we'll, we'll play some music by William Grant Still, who is an American composer. He's, he's really, um, a lot of orchestras and performers are playing his work now. Um, was really probably the first prominent black composer to break a lot of the color lines. Um, the first to have a major symphony perform one of his works, the first to conduct a major symphony. So we're doing a, a relatively unknown piece. Um, it's called Danza de Panama. It's written for string orchestra and it's four movements, 
of dances that all have a Latin American flavor. Um, they're delightful. They're rhythmic. Um, it's only for strings, so he challenges the strings to sound a little bit percussive here and there. Um, it's it's music to to sort of sit back and enjoy and maybe get your toes tapping a little bit. It's a lot of fun. And then the third of the three first pieces is a concerto for oboe and orchestra Ooh. by Eugene Goosen, also an English composer. Um, not very well known, but in his day, he was very well known. His, his father and grandfather were very prominent conductors in England. All of his siblings were were important um, musicians and played in all the big orchestras in England. Uh, one of his brothers was maybe the best-known English oboist of his day. I've, I've learned a lot about uh, yes. the Goosen's family. I had never heard of him before. Um, but it's a it's a one movement work about eleven or twelve minutes, and we're going to feature our principal oboist Sarah Southard, and she she's a delightful player and a person too, um, just a beautiful sound, um, so consistent in in what she brings to the oboe and what she brings to Holland Symphony. So really looking forward to getting her out of the woodwind section mm. and putting her in front of the orchestra to play this concerto. Very nice. Again, uh, described your work, we will hear as a rich tapestry of musical styles and moods captivating the audience. That's us with each composition. Where will we, uh, where will we see your works? So uh, we perform uh, most of our concerts at Hope College in the Jack H. Miller Center for Musical Arts which is their new performing arts center. It's a lovely place to play, beautiful sound, um, relatively intimate hall. It seats about 800 people. So even if you're in the back row, you're pretty close to the orchestra. It's a great place to play. And uh, lastly, I understand your long-term president, CEO, Kay Walvord, uh, 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 is retiring or has retired or will retire? She's in the process of retiring, and we're in the process of uh, seeking our next leader. So it's a big, big year of transitions for Holland Symphony, but um, we'll, we'll certainly miss her. But we're definitely looking forward to, to what a new voice will bring to the table. Thank you for that. When did you pick up your first violin? I was five. Uh, so yeah. it's been a long time. Nice. Well, keep on doing what you do as concertmaster, librarian, and more for the Holland Symphony Orchestra. How do I get my tickets, Amanda? The easiest way to get tickets would be to go to the Holland Symphony's website, and that's hollandsymphony.org. We do have single tickets available for this concert and for our next April concert. Um, I will warn you that the the two fall concerts we had actually both sold out. Mm. And we still managed to get everyone in with rush tickets. But if you're interested, I would encourage people to get tickets earlier rather than later. Heard it from the best. Amanda Dykhouse, thank you. Again, concertmaster, librarian, Holland Symphony Orchestra, March 9th, your date. Thanks to you and yours. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for Thursday, February 29, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling, and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. 
We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.